0: to the Great Work radio program. The Great Work radio and blog are features of Jesse War's website and can be accessed at jessewar.com. That's j-e-s-s-e-w-a-u-g-h.com. We look forward to comments submitted to the blog
1: and hope you enjoy today's program. This is episode 9 of the Charming Intention series on the Great Work. Hello, and welcome to the Great Work radio program. I'm Jesse Waugh. I recently attended a graduate conference at the University of Cambridge in England, which was entitled Charming Intentions, Occultism, Magic, and the History of Art. It was organized by Daniel Zamani, who is a Ph.D. candidate at Trinity College, Cambridge, and Dr. Alexander Marr. The two day conference was set up to, quote, investigate the intersections between visual culture and the occult tradition, ranging from the material culture of primitive animism through medieval and Renaissance depictions of witchcraft and demonology to contemporary fascination with the supernatural in popular culture. It is a rare thing for the subject, which could be colloquially referred to as occult symbology, to be the focus of a scholarly conference at a top university. And as such, I was more than enthusiastic to attend. This and several following episodes of the great work feature rudimentary recordings of a number of the lectures. Please bear in mind that the quality of the audio is lacking, and also that the speakers refer to various images, icons, and objects which are not presented along with the audio. Most works mentioned should be accessible using an image search. Monica Vinyarchik of the University of Glasgow gave a talk entitled Homo Signorum, Looking to God or Looking to the Stars, the Role of Astrology in Medieval Christianity.
2: Shared by the Lindbergh brothers for the Duke of Berry was the last and largest of a series of books of hours, which were commissioned by the Duke. Decorated using precious materials including gold and lapis lazari, it is a fine example of the medieval craftsmanship. The manuscript contains 206 folios, which include an intricately decorated calendar, reading from the Gospels, and prayers to the Virgin, as well as, a, as well as several other texts commonly featured in Christian books of hours. However, among the grandeur of this manuscript, one folio initially appears rather perplexing. Folio 14 is an enigmatic image which demands further consideration. The folio, as you can see, depicts a slim androgynous nude figure with clear skin standing in the mandala. The twelve signs of the zodiac are depicted across the figure's nude body, beginning with Aries, portrayed by the ram at the top of his head, and ending with and culminating with Pisces, represented by two fish at the nude's feet, the zodiac is also represented within the mandala encasing the figure, which depicts the astrological calendar. Behind the figure is another nude, which mirrors the stance of the frontal figure, but has its back turned towards the spectator. Although on first examination this may seem like a very backward image, the representation of the human figure with the zodiac signs depicted across it. Tosses is an example of the prominent iconographical tradition of the homo signorum, otherwise known as the Zodiac Man. And here is just some examples. <coughs> the Zodiac Man featured prominently in medieval medical texts and functioned as an aid to phlebotomy, or bloodletting, as well as helping to determine the nature and the timing of medical procedures. The figure was to act as a guide as to when and from which part of the body blood should be drawn, as well as determining the timing of surgery and other medical procedures. In order to understand how an image depicting the human body and signs of the zodiac could act as a medical aid, it is necessary to examine the medieval understanding of the human body. The medieval conception of the physical body was largely derived from classical Greece and the writings of Greek philosophers including Hippocrates, Aristotle and Galen. Christianizing what were originally pagan sources, These texts were the fundamental basis of medieval medicine and shaped the medieval understanding of the human form. Absorbing the principles of classical physiognomy and classical understanding of the body, medieval Christians believed that, like the world, the human body body was made up of four primary elements, fire, water, air, and earth, which formed the four bodily fluids known as humors, blood, blend, yellow, and black bile. Like each element, each humour was believed to have its own unique nature, which was defined by its temperature and humidity. Fire, in its corresponding humour yellow vial, was believed to be hot and dry and in direct contrast to the cold and wet nature of water and phlegm, while the hot and wet qualities of air and blood contradicted the dry and cold nature of the element of earth and melancholy. It was understood that the relative proportion of these fluids within the body determined not only the appearance, but also the character of each human being, a predominance of any one of these fluids, led to a particular physical shape and temperament. For example, according to humor theory, a dark red complexion was believed to be an indication of an abundance of yellow bile, whose dominance would cause the individual to be jolly, conceited and malicious. <laughs> Therefore, if an exterior form conformed to the characteristics of a particular humor, it was believed that the individual's personality would also be defined with the traits associated with that humor. Simply speaking, according to humor theory, a book can always be judged by its cover, and a sign being built identifies an individual possessing sound character. These ideas featured prominently in medieval Europe, and can be seen in the work of several medieval writers, including the 6th century bishop of Seville, Saint Isidore. In his encyclopedia entitled Origins, compiled towards the end of his life, Isidore stated, "Just as there are four elements, however, there are also four humors." Each of the humors imitates its element. Blood imitates water, bile, fire, melancholy earth and phlegm water. And there are four humors, just as there are four elements that preserve our body. This passage communicates the central belief of humor theory, which saw the body as a microcosm of the universe, made up of the same elements that make up the cosmos. This belief led to the understanding that the body was subject to to its external environment. Classical Greek authors and their medieval successors believed that the balance of the humours was directly related to an individual's external circumstance. The relationship between the external environment and humours can be seen in the manner in which classical and medieval physicians approached the treatment of the physical body, which were often based on altering external circumstances such as diet. One of the external influences considered was also celestial positioning. This supposed relationship between the stars and the human body is perfectly illustrated in the Homes of norm. The various zodiac signs depicted across the figure indicate which sign of the zodiac governed which organ. The sign of Aries depicted through the ram placed on the head, Taurus on the neck and shoulders, Gemini depicted through two small figures in the arms, Cancer on the chest, Leo on the heart, Virgo on the abdomen, uh, Libra on the lower back and kidneys, Scorpio on the reproductive organs, Sagittarius on the thighs, Capricorn on the knees, with Aquarius on the ankles, and Pisces on the feet. These relationships between signs of the zodiac and parts of the human body were a certain central concern in determining medical treatment. In the Middle Ages, disease was believed to be caused by an imbalance of the humors. For example, melancholia was the result of excess black bile, which could lead to evil qualities and numerous diseases. Most medieval treatments focused on bringing the body of fluids back into balance. As the humors were thought to be the source of disease, medical treatments such as flambotomy or bloodletting were highly regarded by medieval practitioners, their practice having arrived in Europe with Galenic writings through Muslim sources. As the body and the humor balance were believed to be influenced by celestial positioning, these medical practices were carried out in accordance to planetary movements. For example, one of the guiding principles of medieval bloodletting, bloodletting, was the fact that blood should not be let if the moon was travelling through the sign which governed the affected area? This is where a medieval practitioner would consult the zodiac man. Therefore, if an individual was suffering from ailment of the kidneys, blood would not be let if the moon was currently in libra, which governed the organ. When making the diagnosis, the human balance of the individual also came into consideration. It was believed that individuals of different humoral character would respond differently. Certain celestial movements which were associated with specific signs of the zodiac. The earth sign Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn were identified as melancholy, the fire signs of Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius as choleric, Gemini, Aquarius, and Libra, the air signs were identified as sanguine, while the water signs Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces were described as phlegmatic. The relationship between the humours and the signs of the zodiac were described in the corner text of the share Zodiac Man. In application, for instance, it was believed that if the moon was within a fire sign, Aries, Leo, Sagittarius, it was a favorable time to treat the choleric character attributed to these signs. As such, in the Middle Ages, it was perceived that in order to practice medicine, a physician must be knowledgeable in both astrology and medicine, an idea which was directly absorbed from classical and Arabic writings on the human body. The prominence given to celestial positioning on the body is revealed by the fact that in the 1476 medical examinations in France, it required both the knowledge of astrological reading permits and is further exemplified by the prominence of the homosid norm within med- medieval medical treaties. However, this does not explain why such an image would find itself in a Christian Book of Hours. After all, the Book of Hours was intended to act as a guide to private devotion, developed for the lay audience who wished to incorporate monastic practices into their everyday lives. Why would such a text reference an originally pagan idea about treating the human body? In order to answer this question, it is necessary to consider the role of the human body in medieval Christianity. Some are hairy of body, some dirty the soul. Because they are pervaded with unclean human pollution, for they are <coughs> evil and unchaste in flesh, shamelessly polluting themselves with the odour of vice and contaminating their souls with the stains of filthy human sin, as swines roll but as swines roll its body in mud. This quote from the twelfth century visionary text Hibbas by Hildegard of Bingen, shows the medieval Christian theological interpretation and understanding of the human body. Building on the belief that the body is an outward manifestation of the individual's character, which is part of human theory, medieval theologians believe that the body is a reflection of the soul. Consequently, as stated by Hildegard, when men engage in sinful behaviour, then their sin alters the physical body. This intimate relationship between the body and the soul featured prominently in medieval theology. As early as the 4th century, the theologian St. John Chrysostom stated That sin is the first cause of physical maladies, while the 13th century encyclopedia on the properties of things written by Bartholomew the Englishman includes an image which identifies uh, man's body and soul as one. Therefore, in the Middle Ages, not only was the body a reflection of personality, but also an indication of the nature of one's soul, and the human soul and body were seen as symbiotic. The association between the physical form and the soul resulted in a dialogue between medicine and Christianity relationship had a long-established tradition, and can be seen in the following biblical passage. In this biblical passage, the act of healing the body and the, the act of healing the body is seen as symbolic of healing the soul, with the physician being compared to God. As the physician heals the sick, God heals humanity of its sins. Line 15 of the text perfectly summarizes the relationship between the two by stating that those who sin will need to seek a physician, thus conveying the notion that sin will lead to physical illness and mirroring the previous statement. This biblical passage shows that Christian theology had a long history of viewing the body and the soul as closely intertwined, and explains why throughout the Middle Ages prominent Christian scholars expressed the opinion that the body suffered the sins of the soul. Consequently, the physician and the priest were seen as performing a similar role, For the act of maintaining the health of the physical body was synonymous with caring for one's soul and vice versa. This understanding of the human form and the soul as directly related can be seen in medieval theologians' adoption of humour theory. While in secular terms the balance of the humours determined in an individual's character and appearance, within the context of Christian theology the humours were seen as directly related to the morality of one's nature. As early as the 4th century, Augustine of Hippo stated that just as an imbalance of the humors causes physical symptoms, spiritual misdemeanors cause spiritual wounds. The significance attributed to humors within Christianity is made more evident through their inclusion in medieval accounts of Christian salvation history. Throughout the Middle Ages, prominent Christian scholars used the humors in order to explain the narrative of Christian salvation history. According to theologians, the imbalance of the humors originated with the first sin. The relationship between the humours and the fall of man was first discussed by the 12th century Spanish astronomer <coughs> and colonist, Marcus <coughs> Based on his own experience of converting from Judaism to Christianity, he wrote the text Dialogue, dialogue Against the Jews, which became one of the most prominent and influent, influential anti Jewish polemic texts of the Middle Ages. In this text, the author defends the Christian faith by presenting a dialogue between his former Jewish self, which he named Moses. In his Christian incarnation, Petrus, within the dialogue, he explains to Moses that God created men to be immortal and perfect, but that through the fall, Adam's humours became unbalanced and he became mortal and susceptible to illness. Throughout this conversation, Petrus presents the argument that the first sin corrupted man's soul and in so doing altered the balance of his humours, stating that the humours were thrown into imbalance when Adam committed the first sin. Petrus identifies a direct correlation between the humors and morality. The 12th-century visionary Hildegard of Bingen also connected Adam's fall to a change in his bodily humors. Hildegard believed that as Adam bit into the forbidden apple, blood bile developed in him, without which the influence of the devil would not exist in human beings. The belief that Adam's humors were corrupted by sin featured prominently in the writing of several other medieval theologians all of whom wrote that God created Adam with temperate humours, which were distorted when he sinned. When examined within the context of medieval medicine theology, the inclusion of the homo norm in our religious context of the Trey Risher is not as particular as initially suspected. In the Middle Ages, the physical body was not a collection of cells defined by genetics as it is in our times. The medieval body was a reflection of an individual's personality, and more importantly, their soul. In the Middle Ages, a virtuous soul was a vital part of maintaining one's health. Therefore, by caring for one, the medieval Christian was looking after the other. This may explain why the Duke of Berry may have chosen to include a zodiac man in this elaborate book of hours. Just as the physician used the zodiac man to treat the body, the prayers located on the other folios of the Treasury could do the same to ensure the purities of the, by ensuring the purity of the Duke's soul. What the inclusion of the Zodiac man illustrates is the close and often symbiotic relationship between the physical and spiritual body in medieval Christian thought. Medicine and religion were not separate spheres as they are today, though our viewers far more collaborative in nature. It also reveals a culture where prayer and virtue were as powerful in warding off illness as a good physician. Thank you very much. was very much the Duke showing off just how much money he had. So the idea, and you see the blue, which is lapis razor, which you know would be very expensive on quite a lot of the pages and quite a lot of the, so it's probably just, my interpretation of it is is just put as much gold and expensive pigment on the page as humanly possible. (laughs) I was wondering how how would you interpret the the fact that uh, the man is mirrored. I mean, why Why does he mirror him? Is it like the soul, like being the soul being mirrored and the backside, or, because there's no, uh, the zodiacal signs are just always in the front part. He doesn't illustrate anything on backside. So mm-hmm. why does he mirror him? Well, that has been debated by quite a lot of people for quite a <laughs> long time. <laughs> yeah. um, some of the current debates are, if you look at manus- medical manuscripts, the zodiac man is often accompanied by a vein man, So some have argued that actually that was meant to have veins represented on it, which would show the places where you could draw blood from. But I'm not really sure about that, because why do you only see half of him? If he was meant to be as you would... Yeah, yeah, generally... Sometimes you do see the Zodiac Man and the Vein Man shown, sort of one at the front, one at the back, but that's very rare, and you always see the full figure because you need to see all of the veins. So I'm not hugely convinced by that argument. Uh... Some people have argued that it's meant to represent the, sort of the fair body and the blonde nature of the figure was meant to represent sort of because as you know, fair skin, light hair was the ideal human body in the Middle Ages. Whereas the dark hair of the other figure was meant to correspond to sort of what happens if you're not. But I don't think there's enough of a distinction between them to justify the idea of this being the contrast between good and evil. There's also been an argument that they represent the two ones the The ideal human body was the sanguine humour because it was considered to be the best humour so that the frontal figure represents that and the back figure represents melancholy which is seen as the worst humour. To be honest, I'm not hugely convinced by that argument either. (laughs) I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done into why there's the back figure there and it is a good question, one which I'm still contemplating today. Yep. But is it the only the only depiction where is the zodiacal man is actually mirrored, or are there other ones after that man? Like I said, there are you in my, this is the so most elaborate. They're mirrored in that way, I mean, No, I've not seen any. That's signal. That's that, the only time I've seen it. If anybody else has seen it, please yeah. just speak up now. But that is the only time I've seen a figure which is shown half that you can't yeah. really see them yeah. and it is mirrored. You
0: had a question, yes. <laughs> is it, do you, to say, do you other books just
2: No, you do find it in other books of ours and in it's gone off the top of my head, but there's about three or four more examples I can think of. And what does join all of them is if you look at the at the medical depictions that you can tell, I mean that you can tell it's a medical image, it's got notes on it, it's got, you know, it, you can see that it's, it's some sort of guide. Whereas if you look at the treary share, it's not so much you can tell it's not meant to be used as a medical aid because it is just elaborate and it's very ornate. And what you find in the other books of ours is very similar. Is that the zodiac man there? Is you don't see it being used by a physician. It's very ornate. It's more of a decorative. So I think it's this idea of drawing parallels between looking after the body and looking after one's soul. Other questions? Oh, yeah, I just want to say. Um, in a very simple way, um, it's looking at the correspondence between the earthly body and the heavenly body of the cosmos. So as the, he, as the heavenly body mm. of the stars and the planets was immortal and perfect, mm. then it was uh, some kind of a clue as to what would make the corrupt human body, which then mm. die, which would help the, the mm-hmm. um, And that's why I assume the blue is, is in the zodiacal. So, yeah things because it's
1: through the
2: sky mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, What you find a lot with um, representations of the ideal body is just what you said, that it's generally depicted in some sort of heavenly background or heavenly context to show that it is the sort correspondence of the correspondence, correspondence between because this heavenly is, and After all this is astrology and that's yeah. the whole mm-hmm. basis of astrology is correspondences mm-hmm. so it's looking for not just correspondences with medically mm-hmm. with, with health but I'm sure it's a good looks like as well. Mm. And exactly, thank you. Thank you. Um, just to continue, to point it's a very interesting thought about how the colour was used. And as a printmaker, I'm always looking at tints and how colours are mixed up together. Mm. Um, and Lapis Lazuli itself is a very interesting point. It was used on each of the individual figures and also in the background. And on that sort of virgin-like blue that's used on, I think it's Virgo, and the figure, isn't it? Um, but have you looked at the significance of how the colours might actually interact as well as, as kind of the story, the narrative in this? Because like, obviously, when it was made, it was not an
0: easy tint. Mm-hmm. I imagine most of you know mm-hmm. the scholars, so, mm-hmm. a terribly difficult colour to <coughs> extract. So they spent hours and hours and days, didn't they, extracting the, the actual mm-hmm. mineral colour to make the correct stuff? As everyone
2: probably knows here, and I think been discovering. <laughs> It comes with many, many different colours. deal it symbolism actually in the in the colour itself? Mm-hmm. I presume that is mm-hmm. that something that you want to Well you do notice looking through the tree we share because as I am sure most of you have seen the sort of extremely elaborate calendar at the beginning of the book, generally it's the Duke himself who's depicted wearing the blue. So there is this association between him and, you know, the idea of this heavenly body, so it's almost like he's creating a relationship between the two. And it's actually quite interesting what you notice know, about the virgin-like figure that's meant to represent Virgo, that was actually one of the ways in which Christians, Christianized these, you know, pagan ideas about astrology and astronomy, was to introduce Christian figures into it. So the figure of Virgo is often represented by the Virgin Mary. It was believed that the Virgin Mary herself was a Virgo. And um, what you can also notice is that the two figures which were meant to represent Gemini on the arms it's a male and a female figure, which is sometimes the case, and of art historically, that's a representation of Adam and Eve. So it's again, Christianizing and bringing in Christian ideas into the Zodiac. Just a very small comment, it's also on the topic of mm-hmm.
1: colors. Um, where's the two? So first of all, is the is manuscript French in origin? Yeah. As I saw it, it's like in the same shop. And where's the two part of the world, family? connected with the royal family at that time? Because for me it seems relatively obvious that we have a French um, like royal how uh, do you put that with Cote with arms, exactly with the, uh, with the golden lilies uh, own uh, and that might be actually a sort of legitimization from the the that he's part of the royal family or that he's connected somehow because these these of arms were not used just like that. They represented the family, and they should be yep.
2: used properly. So I think that that might be a connection. Between the... No, yeah, definitely. some... yeah, that's, yes, can I just say, he was the uncle of the French king. Yeah. Mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, they're all all related: Burgundy, Berry, and a lot of the artists of this are actually German, is, of course, i was <laughs> just wondering, since you said that this, images like this, you know, you've seen them in other books of yeah. hours, and certainly there's the tradition of this and I was just wondering about this image specifically, and what elements of it, or what things would you find most surprising, um, or what, you know, makes you, other than it's obviously very, very elaborate, very high quality, but what? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is actually one of the things that you very, even in the other books of hours, none are this elaborate, and the I what you will see on every page. Looked through it was commissioned and discussed, so it's it shows that it was a very conscious decision on the part of the duke to include this image, which I think is very interesting. But it's also the setting and the the two figures. What does that mean? There's a lot of things, little details about this image like that that make it very interesting and very you know perplexing, and you do want to read more and more into it. And I think even the fact that art historians, which have looked at this image for. You, you know, years and years, and we still can't agree about some of the intricacies of it. I think it's just the sort of enigmatic nature that draws you into it.
1: Oh, can I just text? Sorry about that. There was another question here. I'm sorry.
2: Um, one way we often see of correspondence with the zodiac symbols are in the calendar portions mm-hmm. of hours. I appreciate that this is perhaps the most famous manuscript in our discipline, but the bibliography is extensive, so I'm not sure you've had time to sort of dig Mm -hmm. into that, but I was wondering if you could maybe speak to the relationship between this page and the calendrical pages of this album. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can play around at the top, you can see that each month had the zodiac signs, so as you know, um, the first, uh, this is January, and in January you start with the year of Capricorn, and then halfway through January you go into Aquarius, and that's... So it Is this idea of being a calendar, which a lot of Parsons have also pointed out in the idea of passing of time. Uh, some interpretations have in this sort of the Duke's obsession with his health, and fact he was worried about his ageing and the passing of time was on his mind. I mean, like you say, there's a really extensive bibliography just on this manuscript, never mind you know, each image and this is very much a side but it's a tiny little bit of my dissertations or my PhD so it's I wish I had more time just look at everything and actually I wish I could answer all of those questions <laughs> if the one who says yes that's the answer but maybe <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I just wonder what the date of birth was of the Duke mm-hmm. and is he a Gemini and asked, is that not referring mm-hmm. to, to his birth date that the twins astrological. Man. He's a I, I I I I don't know when he was born myself. No, I don't know, that's actually quite an interesting point. I'm mean, I'm not but sure what's going on. he was born response gen yeah. Because I mean those are obviously twins. There there is actually a, quite a striking resemblance. If you notice also the hair colour of the frontal figure corresponds to the hair colour of Eve whereas Adam's hair and that's far more prominent in the actual image itself than it is on the reproduction. So that's a very good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Something to look into. Are there any more questions? In which case, can I ask you to join me to thank all three speakers for some really, really excellent questions? Thank you
0: very, very much. Thank you for listening to The Great Work Radio Programme. The Great Work Radio and Blog are features of Jesse War's website, and can be accessed at jessewaugh.com, that's J-E-S-S-E-W-A-U-G-H.com. We look forward to comments submitted to the blog and hope you enjoy today's program. Search for the name Jesse War to download the great work radio programs from the iTunes Store.